All right. We are right now in a sermon series on uh, looking at discipleship. And uh, over the last several weeks, we've been looking, kind of hanging out on that verse in Matthew 28 where Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. And looking at what that means, we, if you've been around church any length of time, you probably have heard that word disciple or discipleship at some point. If you read through the New Testament, you're going to read that word many, many times. But it's kind of one of those words that's kind of vague. Everybody's got a little bit of a different understanding of what that word is all about. And so what we've been doing over the last several weeks is looking at exactly what that means from God's Word and unpacking what it looks like to not only be a disciple, but to also go and make disciples. It it would seem like if Jesus gave us this mission as the church to go and make disciples, we should probably figure out exactly what that looks like. And so that's what this has been been about, and we're going to actually, we've got a couple more weeks on this, this, uh, this topic before we move on. But all of us, I believe all of us are on a quest. We're on a quest uh, to live lives that, that have meaning, to live lives that have significance, to live lives where we are making a difference in, in other people's lives, lives where we're making a difference in the world. We have this, this kind of urge deep inside of us to, to do something, to be something, and, and to make a difference, and not just any difference, but a different that, difference that, that matters. And we want to do this in a way that not only brings um, us joy and fulfillment, but we also want to do it in a way that brings others joy. Sadly, though, I think for a lot of people, they never really experience what this looks like to actually live a life that is, that is truly having a significant impact on other people. The things of this world that, that we hope will provide meaning, that we hope will provide significance, um, never do, at least not for, for the long run. But because this, there's this longing inside of us for significance that's so strong that we just can't seem to escape, what ends up happening is that when we realize that the things that we're pursuing don't provide significance, don't provide meaning, what we do is, is we, we just move on to something else, hoping that some other pursuit will, will provide that sense of meaning and significance that deep down we all long for. And we see this play out in life in all different kinds of ways. We see it play out all the time, and it usually looks something like this. A student will put all their time and all their energy into to graduation. They'll strive for that, shoot for that, but then what ends up happening the, the day after or the week after or the month after, at some point, they realize that, okay, this is not, this is, there, there's, there's got to be something more than a certificate that's hanging on my wall. And so they move on to the next thing, and maybe that's college, or maybe that's just jumping right into the workforce so they can make some money, get, get to be self-sufficient. But as the paychecks will start rolling in, you eventually discover what everybody else discovers, and that's that the more you make, the more you just end up spending. And you just end up spending all your, your, your money on stuff, and then you realize at some point that stuff is just that. It's stuff. New shoes, cars, they don't provide you with, with any sense of, of meaning and purpose. But you can't get away from that urge, can you? The urge is still there to live a life of significance, a purpose that, that matters and so you move on to bigger, better things. Maybe it's houses. Maybe it's climbing that ladder of, of whatever career that you, you've chosen. But it all leaves you with the same empty feeling that your life is supposed to count for more and, th- and that you're missing it. And whenever you get that feeling deep down inside of you, I think we need to stop and, and listen to your soul because your soul is trying to tell you something. That soul that God created within you um, is trying to tell you that there's a point to your life. It's 
It's, it's, it's more significant. It's, it's about making more of an impact than just accumulating a bunch of stuff and winning the applause of, of men and women around you. You were created for God-given purpose on this earth. And as we're going to see this morning, a big part of that purpose has to do with this whole topic of being and making disciples. When Jesus showed up on the scene 2,000 years ago, he found 12 guys, and then he invited them, as we've, we've seen in the series, to be his disciples. He said, come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Well, eventually, the 12 grew and became a larger group. These people were just drawn to him. They were attracted to Jesus. As they listened to him and got to know him, it became apparent pretty quick that this whole discipleship thing was about a whole lot more than just listening to some new and interesting teaching about how to live better lives for ourselves. They soon discovered that Jesus didn't have them in self-help classes. What he actually had them in was boot camp. And he was preparing them for something. He had a purpose, a mission, a life in store for these disciples that would be full of, of far more meaning, far more significance than they could ever have dreamed of. And one day, after Jesus had just finished teaching them about what it meant to follow him, the Bible it says this in the book of Luke, in your New Testament, chapter 10. It says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Now, later on in this passage, we're not going to actually read, read the whole thing, but later on in the passage, we read exactly what it was he was sending them out to do. He was sending them out to, to heal the sick. He was sending them out to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. And the Bible doesn't say a whole lot about these 72 people. You have the original 12 disciples, we know their names, we know, uh, some of them we know what their jobs were, but these 72 people talked about here, we don't know really anything. No names, we don't know what their, their line of work was, we don't know uh, how old they were, none of that kind of stuff. All we know is that they had been with Jesus, listening to Jesus, following Jesus, watching him, and now Jesus comes along and says, okay, Guys, I've got a mission for you to do. It's time to get off the bench, and it's time to get in the game. And then he, he sends them out, and off they go. Now, again, the Bible doesn't say much about these guys. Maybe some of them were expecting to be sent out at some point. Maybe some of them were expecting to get in the game at some point. But my guess is that if they're anything like us, they were probably not expecting to get in the game, at least not this early. Because you've got to understand what's going on here. Jesus, who is the, he's the, the greatest teacher of all time, he's the greatest healer of all time, and he's still here on the scene when he sends these 72 people out. There didn't appear, if you're, if you're these, these 72 people, there probably didn't, need, uh, didn't really appear any need to get involved beyond simply listening and learning, but, but Jesus wants them to know, and he wants us to understand something that is critically important when it comes to being a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, he wants them to understand this, that being a disciple, isn't a, it isn't about learning the game so you can sit in the stands. It's about learning the game so you can get in the game. Jesus was on a mission to change the world. He was on a mission to see men and women set free, to see blind eyes open, to see lives transformed, to see people that were captive experiencing the, the freedom that comes with following him. And he didn't just invest in these disciples so that they could have a new friend in Jesus. 
He didn't just invest in them so that they could um, learn how to live their lives better, learn how to have better families. He didn't just teach them all this, this, these wonderful truths so they could have their, their minds just kind of stuffed full of, of, of all this information in their heads. Instead, he did all that. He taught them the game, so to speak, so that they themselves could go get in the game and begin making disciples like he was doing of them. My daughter, Aaliyah, is, um, she's, she's nine years old. She's going to be 10 here pretty soon. And uh, she loves soccer. She's the only kid in the family that has, a, has ever had a love for soccer. Um, maybe the only person in, in Warner history that has had a love for soccer. But Aaliyah loves soccer. She's passionate about soccer. And so we've got her all signed up, ready to go for the spring soccer league here. And uh, in about three or four weeks, they will be starting spring training. Now, it's, it's U10, so it's not going to be super intense. It's not going to be like 10 hour a day, five days a week in the, the pouring rain and the mud training, none of that kind of stuff. But nevertheless, they will be having training, and they're going to be going through some of the basic skills of soccer, uh, going back over how to pass, how to dribble, all that kind of stuff, maybe learning some, some, um, some plays. I don't know how it's all going to work. But they will train, and they're going to train for a purpose, Right? They're going to train so they can kick some U10 butt on the soccer field, right? It, it, they're not training just so they can have fun, right? They're training so they can win. I don't know whoever said that it was all about just having fun. Probably some parent whose kid was losing all the time, right? But, but, but it's, you, you train so that you can win. I mean, my, I, I have kids. This last summer, I, my youngest daughter set, was seven, and she was in basketball. And at her age, they don't keep track of score. But guess what? The kids are still keeping track of score. You, you, you train for a purpose. You train so that you can move beyond training so you can get on the field and so that you can win. Now imagine with me just for a second here that, that this year Aaliyah's coach decides, okay, we're just going to, we're actually not going to play any games. We're just going to be all about training this year. We're just going to train week in and week out. And he doesn't actually tell the girls that this is his plan, but he just, this is his plan. They're just, they're just going to train and train and train and train and train. So a month goes by, and they, they keep training. Two months go by, and they still just keep on training. At this point, probably some of the, the girls on the team are going to be getting a little bit frustrated, wondering, okay, when, when's the schedule going to come out? When are we going to figure out who we're playing, all that kind of stuff? But nevertheless, the coach just keeps training. Three months goes by, and it's just training. Four months goes by, and it's just training. Training, training, training. Well, you know what's eventually going to happen is those girls – and their parents are going to say, forget this, we're out of here. We're going to find a team that is about more than training. We're going to find a team that's actually getting on the field and playing in the game. You don't train and learn the game simply so you can sit in the stands and watch other people play. You learn the game so that you can get in the game. And too often, church is more like an endless training camp that just goes on and on and on and on and on, where we're never actually getting on the field and playing in the game. We hear the preacher talk over and over again about what it means to follow Jesus. We go home and read our Bibles, and, and we learn what it means to, to follow Jesus and what this whole thing looks like, this Christianity thing. We listen to other preachers online talk about what it means to follow Jesus. We get in a small group, and we learn what it means to follow Jesus. We learn about it in classes, but then we never actually get on the field and begin making disciples ourselves. We don't take the time to invest in someone's life by serving them. We don't take time to love that unchurched neighbor that lives a few houses down. We, we, we don't 
begin to invest our time and our treasure and our talent in the mission of the local church. We just train. And then we train some more. And then we train some more. And then we train some more. Meanwhile, we got this thing deep down inside that's saying, okay, it's got to be about more than this. It's got to be about more than this. We, we, we were created to live lives of significance. And I think, I, think, I think Jesus put that down deep inside of us so that we would never be content with just sitting on the stands and sitting on the sidelines. He put that inside of us because he, he, wants, us, he wants to push us to getting into a place where we're living the lives that, that he's, he's created us to live. Jesus trained his disciples so that they too could get in on the excitement of playing in the game, tasting the joy of making an eternal difference in people's lives. The Apostle Paul, he, he came along a little later on, and he understood how this all worked. He trained and he discipled this guy named Timothy. And he wanted Timothy to know that the training that he was receiving wasn't just for Timothy. It was actually so that Timothy could go and then train and disciple other people. And so... Um, Paul comes along to Timothy and listen to what he says to Timothy. He says this, Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. And then get, get this part here. He says, you have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. So he's saying, hey, I've been training you. Timothy, I have been training you. Then he goes on to say, now teach these truths to other trustworthy people. So he's saying, Timothy, I've trained you. But not, Timothy, just so that you could go and have a better marriage, so you can go and learn how to raise your own children. Timothy, I'm training you so that you can go and train others. And then listen to how he finishes off. He says, now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to themselves pass them on to others. He doesn't say, Timothy, I've taught you. Now I want you to teach others so they can have their head's stuffed full of more information. He says, you're teaching them so they can go on and teach others, so they can go on and teach others, and so this can just keep perpetuating itself over and over and over again. Being a disciple of Jesus is about three things. We've been looking at these over and over and over again in this series. If you can name them right now for me, I will buy you coconut candies after the service. You ready? One, two, three, go. Just kidding. But being a disciple is about three things. This is how we are defining disciple here at CTK Ferndale. It's, first of all, it's following Jesus. Second of all, it's being changed by Jesus. But it's not stopping with those two things. The third thing it's about, it's about being committed to the mission of Jesus. And that's not something new that we came up, up with. That's Jesus coming along to his disciples and saying, follow me, and I will make you. I'm going to change you into something. I'm going to make you fishers of men people who are committed to this mission. And it's not someone who's just all focused on themselves. It's about being on mission with Jesus to go and make disciples, to get off the bench and into the game. And even as I say that this morning, I know that some of you in the room are probably thinking, okay, well, whoa, 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 wait a second, Rich. Make disciples? What, what are you talking about? Be involved in other people's lives, investing in other people's lives. I'm not ready for that. I'm not qualified for that. I need to grow. I need to learn. I need, I need to... I need to get more understanding of how, how this all works. You know, there's a place for learning and growing. Don't get me wrong. There's a place to learn and a place to grow. Not, not everybody is ready to get on the field and in the game. I mean, did you watch the 49ers this last season? I mean, not everybody's ready. There's a place to learn and there's a place to grow. But something you need to know, though, is that we seldom, we seldom feel 
ready or qualified to get on the playing field, but Jesus, he asked us to anyways. He asked us to anyways. And, and there's a lot of excuses that keep us from getting the game, and I know every single one of them because I have used every single one of them. Um, we're afraid to fail. If I, if I jump in, I get involved serving and loving people and giving my life to people, investing in people, I, I might fail, I might make some kind of mistake, or, or I'm just not ready yet. I just need more training. Or, or another big one is we just don't feel like we're good enough. We don't feel like we're qualified. You just made too many mistakes in the past. My, I've just blown up my life. How could God possibly work through me in any significant way? Another biggie is we're just too busy. Our, our lives are just too packed full of, of stuff. But if you're here this morning, you feel like you're not ready, you feel like you're not qualified, you can just rest easy this morning knowing that God will work through anybody. I mean, if, if nothing less, the Bible is a book that demonstrates how God will work through anybody in advancing the mission. He worked through Matthew, this tax collector dude who nobody liked because he'd been swindling his, his, his fellow countrymen out of who knows how much money. Jesus calls him and says, hey, come follow me, and I'm going to work through you to change the world. And then there's Peter. Peter, this guy, he didn't have, a, um, didn't have much education. He, had a hot, he was hot-tempered. He was kind of always making things sort of about himself, kind of always getting in the way. But Jesus, he comes along, and he he calls them out, and he, sa- he invites them to get in the game. He worked through these guys. He, he had them serving people, healing people, sharing the good news with people. And when Jesus got them in the game, he, he had an approach that was empowering. It didn't leave them feeling defeated. It didn't leave them feeling discouraged. It, and if you're someone who wants to help others get in the game, maybe you're here and you're, you're leading in some capacity. Maybe you've got kids at home. Maybe you You've got a small group that you're leading or you're, you're leading in the kids' ministry. And you go, okay, I want to help others get in the game. I'm kind of in the game, but I'm ready to help get, get others in the game. I want to give you an approach to helping others get in the game that's actually super helpful. It's what Jesus did when he was, he was working with these guys. And before I share the, the approach, let me just note that it's highly relational. It's highly relational. We've been talking a lot in this whole series about how the primary way that Jesus made disciples was not through sermons. It wasn't through classes. It was by being in relationship with people. He got 12 guys around him, and he poured his life into these, these 12 guys. And, and so he had this approach to getting people in, in ministry and, and making a difference in the world that was, it was just walking alongside them in life. And the approach simply goes like this. It's, it's I do, you watch, I do, you help, you do, I help, you do, I watch, and, and cheer. And the first one is this, I do, you watch. The disciples, they saw Jesus pray for people. They saw Jesus serving people before they ever began to do it themselves. Sometimes in the church, I, I think we've got this bad habit of just kind of tossing people out into ministry without them have a, having a clue what it's about. That's not Jesus' way of doing things. Jesus' way is, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do, and, and you're, you're going to watch Part of discipling isn't simply telling someone how to play the game. It's it's showing them. It starts with, I do, you watch. And then it's, I do, you help. Jesus eventually got his disciples helping him. And we see this in the story of the the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus just could could have done that whole thing all by himself. I mean, he's God. He could have just done it. But what does he do? He has his disciples go out and find some some food. They bring back the, the fish and the bread. And then he prays over it, does this crazy, awesome miracle. 
Then he tells the disciples, hey, you guys go out, get people seated in, in groups. They go out, they, they serve the food, and at the end of the, the, the dinner, um, they go out and they bring all the leftovers back. But Jesus is going, okay, I'm going to do, and you guys are going to help. You're going to help. And this is the, the approach that, that we try to take in, in this church. I do, you help. You know, the worst way to learn how to swim has to be just to have someone toss you in the deep end of the pool. <laughs> Has anybody here ever been tossed into the deep end of the pool to learn how to swim? Wow, okay, a few of you. Was that an amazing, awesome experience? Was it terrifying? <laughs> I would imagine it's probably a little terrifying to be tossed in the deep end of the pool. But um, there's a better way, actually, to teach people how to swim. And it's to have someone come alongside of you, lift you up in the water so that you can do your little doggy paddle thingy that you do and kick your legs and all that kind of stuff. It's a much better way than just freaking somebody out by having them in the deep end of the pool. And that's, that's actually kind of how it goes with serving and ministering to people too. I do, you watch. I do, you help. Then you do, I help. We see this with Jesus sitting up in 72. He sends them out, but he's there in the power of his Holy Spirit. He's the one doing the healing. He's the one coming along. He's empowering them. And then lastly, it's you do, I watch. And, and, and cheer. And this is the point when the trainer, the coach has done their job, and now they're watching and cheering from the sidelines. And, and whether it's your kids at home, whether it's the people you're discipling in your small group, whether it's the people that you're teaching to serve in Kids Rock, there comes a point where you need to turn them loose to serve. You need to turn them loose. And, and when they do, you need to be the one on the stand, on the, standing on the sidelines cheering them on like crazy. I love how Jesus does this with the, uh, these, the 72. He sends them out. They do their, their thing out there, and they go to different towns and villages, and they pray for people. They, they, they share the good news about the kingdom, and then at the end, they, they end up coming back, and they kind of report back into Jesus. And listen to how this, this goes down. The Bible says the 72 returned with, with joy. That's key. They didn't return defeated and discouraged, moping along. They actually returned with joy which is a byproduct when you begin living a life of significance, when you get in that sweet spot where God has you making a difference in people's lives, a byproduct is joy. They, they returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. They're like, man, we're, we're kicking it. And he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So Rich's modern-day translation of what Jesus is doing there is he, he's saying, okay, guys, that's awesome. He's like, you guys are really, you're, you're like really kicking the devil's butt here. Way to go. You're, you're just, you're Adam. You're doing an awesome job. He's cheering them on. And then he says, I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. He's saying that so we have an understanding of, okay, he's going to go with us. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your name's are written in heaven. And there's, there's two final things that I want to pull out of this story as we close. And the first is this. First of all, being a disciple involves a willingness to move beyond your own personal comfort to serve the hurting and broken world around you. At some point in your discipleship journey, it involves this moving outside of your personal comfort to serve and love on people. Did you, uh, I don't know if you caught this in the that text in Luke 10 when we first read it earlier on. Jesus comes along and he says, hey, I am sending you out. And he says, I am sending you out like what? I'm sending you out like lambs among what? Wolves. 
lambs among wolves. Doesn't that just make you want to go, yay, sign me up, Jesus. I want to be on your team. I want to be like a wee little lamb among big ferocious wolves. Last I checked, lambs and wolves don't get along too well. Last I checked, when lambs and wolves get together, it usually goes bad for one of those two parties, and it's usually not the wolf. It usually goes kind of bad for the lambs. Jesus says, you're the lambs, and where I'm sending you, it's going to be like there's wolves. In other words, when you serve hurting people, when you get involved in the lives of broken people, when you make a decision, you go, okay, I'm going to get off the bench, I'm going to get in the game, it's not going to be easy. There's going to be disappointment along the way. It's not always going to go how you think it's going to go. There's going to be times you feel like a total failure. There's going to be times where the job is thankless. There's going to be other times where people are going to criticize you and they're going to hurt you. There'll be times where you'll go months without seeing any kind of fruit whatsoever for all the hard work, all the effort that you're putting into it. It's not going to be comfortable. But being a disciple is about being willing to go anyway. It's about being willing to go anyway. And, and Jesus, in this, this scripture, he, he says something in there. I don't know if you caught it, but he says something that helps sustain you through all the discomfort that might come, through all the pain, any hurt, any whatever that might come your way, he says something that will sustain you through that. He says, okay, rejoice, not from all the stuff that's going on, not from the fruit that you're seeing in ministry, but rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. And what he is saying is don't rejoice at all the accomplishments that, are, that you're seeing as you, as you serve and lay down your life for others. Don't... Don't let your, your identity, don't let your self-worth rest on all that. Instead, let it rest on the, the, the fact that you are a loved child of God who's accepted by him, whose name is in the Lamb's book of life. Do that, and you'll be able to make it through the difficulties and the hardships of ministry and of being a disciple-maker. I think you can, you can break most Christians down into two different camps. One camp over here is the comers. One camp over here is the goers, the comers and the goers. There are those who, who show up, they attend, they listen, and if, if you go, okay, yeah, I'm definitely in that camp, let me just say right, right, right straightforward, we are glad that you're here. I mean, this is, we're all about, I mean, we want to see people come and hear the good news about Jesus and who he is. We hope that you'll, you'll be a part of what's going on and you'll, you'll show up and that, that you will, you'll be a comer. Understand something, though. The goal is not that you would stay in this camp. The goal is that you would move from this camp to the other camp. That at some point in your journey, you would say, okay, I don't just want to come and be an attender and, and hear and be trained and listen. I, I want to get into the game. And I think, actually, no, I know for too long the church has been all about getting people in this camp. It's been all about, okay, how can we get more people crammed into this auditorium on a Sunday? How can we get more people to show up to our programs that we have going on during the week? How can we get more people to attend a small group? Let's just get, it's all about getting people to come, all about getting people to attend. And, when, and, and the more people that come, the more we go, okay, yeah, that's, that's awesome. That's what it's all about. Listen, we celebrate 
you being here. And we celebrate people coming. But at the end of the day, it's not just about that. It's about moving from, from being a comer to being a goer. It's about, about getting engaged, getting involved in, in the, the work that, that Christ is doing on this earth. And I got to say, we wouldn't want it any other way. And here's why. When you move from being a comer to being a goer, you begin to taste the joy of being involved in the transformation of people's lives. And that joy is just way too good for just a handful of us to keep to ourselves. This is where we come full circle this morning. This, this, this deep sense of meaning that we were created for, that we were designed for, this, this sense of, okay, I've got to be about something bigger than money. I've got to be about something bigger than houses. I've got to be about something bigger than my career. This is where it all lands right here. You were created to make a difference in people's lives. You, you were created for, for, for a purpose. I've, you know, I've been involved in some pretty cool things. Um, I've, I've had the experience of walking through the, the door of a house that, that Becky and I have just bought. I've been a part of winning sports teams. I've been able to drive um, away from the sales lot with that new car or truck. I've been able to hike up to the top of a mountain and just look around and have that crazy awesome feeling of being on top of the mountain. But let me tell you this, nothing even comes close to comparing to the joy of being involved and seeing someone's life transformed and seeing Jesus come and work through you to change someone and to work in someone and to bring freedom and wholeness and healing in someone's life. And whether you're a student or 85 years old, this is the life you were made for. It's the life you were made for. God's word says it like this. It says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do what? To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And the Bible's not talking here about good works as in great careers or building nice church buildings. It's talking about people. It's talking about being people that are about investing our lives and, and taking everything that Christ has done in us and, and giving that back to people. Investing in others, making an eternal difference in people's lives. And every one of us has a different role in making this happen. It doesn't look the same way for, 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 for all of us. The Bible talks about how we're a body and each part has a, has a different, different job to do. I love how one, a, a pastor who's really shaped my thinking and, and my life, a guy named Jim Putman, he, he says, church is a team sport. It's a team sport. It's not some, some solo act where there, there's a, a, a select few of people doing all the work. No, it's a team sport. I love what the Bible says. It says, we are a royal priesthood. We are, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you are a royal priesthood, which means you are a minister. Now, the church has had this wrong way of thinking for too long that the minister is the guy on stage performing the weddings and the funerals and doing the preaching. That's wrong. That is not biblical. We are all the ministers in this thing. Church is a team sport. And I don't know where you're at this morning. Maybe you're kind of locked in on what that is. Maybe you're here and you're going, okay, yeah, Rich, this is totally getting, to, getting me. I, I, I'm that person that's just been, it's been training, 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 training. I've been on the bench, but I'm ready to get in the game, but I don't know what to do. If you don't know what to do, you're going, okay, I want to get involved somehow. Let me just tell you the best place to start. The best place for you to start is by simply getting in community. Get in a small group. Get in a place where you're going to be known, 
where, where people are, are going to come alongside of you and help you grow in your faith, and they're going to help you figure out what it is that you're, you're wired and called to do. Get, get, in, get in community. Get people around you who you know and who know you. Because this is, this is it's relational. I think another area that I, I believe in connection cards, otherwise we wouldn't have them. But the better way for you to get in, in, in ministry than signing a connection card and having some stranger sit down with you and help you figure out what's next, the better way to get involved in this great mission is to get around people, get in the community of people who are going to help you and going to empower you to get in the game. You were meant to live a life of significance. Don't let anything keep you from that life to which you were called. Don't let anything. Students, don't let your age keep you from getting involved, getting in the game, being engaged and making a difference in the lives of the students that you go to school with. The people in this, this church, don't let anything stop you. Um, don't let age, don't let your past, don't let the fear of the unknown or your, your lack of qualifications keep you from jumping into the game and being a person who's about helping other people follow Jesus, who's about helping other people be changed by Jesus, and then eventually being about helping other people get on mission with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you in this passage of Scripture that we read this morning, you, you made that statement that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And, and Father, my hunch is that that's going to be the case until the end of time, that, that the, the harvest is always going to be greater than the, the, the number of workers to go out and bring that harvest in. But nevertheless, Jesus, you, you ask us to pray a prayer. You ask us to pray that, that, that more workers, more laborers, God, would be raised up and sent out to, to bring in that harvest. God, you are asking us to be a, a church that is not just about getting trained for our own sake, but getting trained so that we too can go out and make disciples who will then go and make more disciples, who will then go and make more disciples. God, that is what you're asking us to do when you say, go and make disciples of all nations. And Lord, I know this morning, God, there's, there are maybe some in the room who are going, I don't know what that looks like for me, but I, I want to go there. Father, I just want to pray that, Lord, you would bring people to, in, the, in their life who could walk alongside of them and show them how they've been uniquely called and designed to be a part of this mission that you call us on as a church. Father, I pray, Lord, that we as a church would be the kind of church that does a great job of, of helping people find their, their niche in ministry, what it looks like for them to be a part of this mission to go and make disciples. Help us to do that well. God, raise up leaders in this church. God, I pray from right here in this room that, God, you would raise up leaders who will go out and, and equip people to go and make disciples of you. But Lord, at the end of the day, I pray that you would help all of us to, to not stay in the camp of the comers, but God, help us to be people who will willingly go, who will, who will go and, and make disciples of all nations like you ask us to do. Father, I pray all this in your good, awesome name. Amen. Amen, amen, amen.